we've got a whole lot on our plate today, more so than we had going that I thought we would have going into today. Yeah, same. Uh, you know, things things happen for various reasons, and sometimes you just gotta do things. <laughs> uh, hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Seasonal Amateur Checkup OVA. It's a podcast where we have conversations about video games, anime, and manga. Hello, I'm Jared, joined as always by Doc Howe and Ladium. Hello. This is episode 218. That's a lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. We have Owl's... We are our next foray into Owl Experiences, the Yakuza series, as we played through Yakuza Kiwami, mm-hmm. the remake of Yakuza 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk briefly about that Nintendo Direct, because who oh boy. And we got to rank some things, because who oh boy. <laughs> also, who oh boy. Who oh boy. Let's start with off, off with that Nintendo Direct, and it was bad. It definitely could have been better. It was not good. <laughs> I think a lot of it, though, is just like... You know, they've done these little mini directs and those have been fine, obviously, because yeah. of the pandemic and everything. But, you know, this being the first, like, big direct since September 2019, that September 2019 direct was just a banger of a direct. So, like, that's a lot of big shoes to fill coming, uh, you know, trying to do one after that one. But, like, yep, this just didn't hit the mark on a lot of things. We'll say it was not as awkward as the... Uh the final fantasy 15 um press I mean, that's that's the, the low bar that's the lowest of low bars that you can hit <laughs> i was just making jokes because that is still the worst press conference i've ever seen i don't think you can get that bad um there's a, like they came into this thing like hey we're going to talk about new smash character and then games that are going to ship in early in, in the first half of 2021 which mm-hmm. they they kind of just didn't really do a whole lot of that. They talked yeah, a lot about games that, <laughs> which I mean, granted, if they did that specifically, this direct would have been like ten minutes. Yeah. Because they didn't really have a whole lot to talk about that was coming out yeah. in the first half of twenty twenty one. They're adding the char- those characters from Xenoblade Chronicles two into Smash, which who f- cares? <laughs> I feel like we have had the exact opposite reaction for like the Sephiroth reveal and then the Pyra and whatever f- name her other form Mithra. is. Uh, reveal where I was like, Zephyroth's fine, it's weird, whatever, and you were like, this is f- terrible, and I'm the opposite with the f- Xenoblade reveal. I mean, we knew that he wanted to put Rex in. We knew that. He said he did. But that... And then Nintendo's like, no. He didn't make we need production the- time. <laughs> well, it, it, we need another sword character. Xenoblade, well, as Rex would have been a sword character. I mean, yes, exactly. Um... But, I mean, I think that it's it's kind of neat because it's relying on that, like, Zelda chic mechanic type thing that you can switch between and change your movesets, which is pretty cool because then you're kind of getting, like, a two-in-one character, but you have to, you can switch up whatever you're doing depending on what's going on around you. Um, but we knew that he wanted Rex in, and Rex did not make it because of timing, and... um so, like, I fully expected to get a Xenoblade 2 representative at some point. Fully what, expected it. What if they just picked a better character? I mean, who would who would you have preferred? You could pick anyone from the, the prologue uh, expansion pack they did, because that's the better game. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, 
could have put Zeke in that one. Well, he actually is in the game, but um, he's just in the background. But just put him in the game. Who cares? Um, I don't think that the people from Torna are recognizable enough. And my to reaction people. to that is, who cares? <laughs> I th- I think just my main problem with this, I Xenoblade Chronicles Two is a f- terrible game. And see, I completely disagree. I I, I agree with that. I understand that. Um, also, I feel like I feel like that reveal was kind of just real. Sh- because like it made it seem like oh they're doing Xenoblade Chronicles 2 DLC and then it just turns into a smash reveal like if I was like a Xenoblade Chronicles 2 fan I'd be kind of by that I knew what was happening when it came up but either way um like I, I didn't think they were gonna do DLC this far into the like it's been years at this point I, I mean they're not they... making a new game or I mean they are making a new game but like they are making a new game they're not gonna be have that that's not gonna be coming out anytime soon so yeah. Uh, so, but regardless, it, it had to have been Smash because they were saying they were doing Smash news. Then, you know, Pyro went missing, and I was like, "Yeah, it's it's definitely Smash." Regardless, bad reveal. Um, <laughs> Disagree. But like outside of that, there's just not a whole lot to talk about with this thing. Like, I feel like there was like two things that I was like kind of excited about, and that was the the Famicom Detective Agency remakes. Which is just I pre-ordered those. incredibly weird because if you, if you don't know what those are, those are Famicom Disk System games mm-hmm. that have never been like translated officially outside of Japan or anything. There's like fan translations you can get and everything, but like that's just a weird, incredibly weird thing to get, especially for them to come out over here. Um, Worlds End Club coming out over here, which is good to, good to know. Uh, yeah. I would assume that's going to be soon, the. Actually. I would assume it's going to be the full thing because I know like the Apple Arcade version is not the full game. Yeah. So hopefully that's 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 it. Um, I would assume since they're selling it on a cart that it's going to be the full thing. You'd hope so at least, yeah. Uh, that's kind of it. Like Mario Golf seems interesting, but it's probably one of those games I would play once and to be like, I got my fill of this. Um, Splatoon three is is intriguing, but like it just looks like more Splatoon at the end of the day, which, you know. I could take or leave. I hope they do kind of more single player stuff, which they did in Splatoon 2 and specifically that DLC, which I thought was like probably the more interesting things about that game. Um, I feel like there's something else. Uh, triangle game. I'm glad that there's a game coming out that's going to implement Phil Jackson's triangle offense into a video game. And then you have to use the triangle offense to recreate the success of the 1990s Chicago Bulls and lead them to six championships. Very interesting idea. It's a real oh cool God. idea that they could bring to a tactical game. The title was really funny, too. That's the only way I would play a tactical RPG at this point. Like, I saw all that. And it was like, it's the Octopath people. They're making a tactical RPG. I don't care at all. But they announced it as if, like, I knew who those people were. I was like, I don't know who they are. Well, they announced it as, like, the next installment in the 2D HD series. I was like, what is that supposed yeah. to mean? <laughs> I had no idea what it meant. I was like, oh, okay, I guess. That was weird. Um... I mean, like, I'm really hyped for Skyward Sword because I really like that game. I I don't think I'm as hyped just because I've played it recently to where, like, I don't know if I'd necessarily want to go spend $60 to play that game again. I've played it recently, too. Well, you're a different case than me, let's say. <laughs> I, the one interesting thing I want to I see about that game is the non-motion control yeah. uh, control settings that they have for that, which is a good thing to have because obviously the, the the original game was played via all through motion controls which is not a cool thing to do especially for like accessibility options or anything because you yeah. people cannot play that game like that 
Right. Um, so I'm really interested to see how they do the controller stuff where they said, like, you know, they're going to have, like, the attacks on the right stick, which I think you could do very interesting things with that. Like, if if I was Nintendo, I would be looking specifically at a video game called Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, which basically kind of did this sort of thing where, like, I think you had, like, some, like, normal attacks on the the face buttons but then like you could get very hyper specific with like you're aiming with your sword with like you would hold a button and then do like do aiming with the right stick to get like yeah. you would know exactly where your your sword is going to hit and everything and then you could just kind of go crazy with chopping and everything and it felt very very good which obviously you know that was a platinum game so of course it's going to feel very good so if i was nintendo that's what i would be looking at in terms of like using a control scheme to adapt to a game that was very motion controlled and you want to basically put all your attacks on the right stick and everything. So hopefully that's kind of the direction they go in. Um, we talked about how, like, I'm curious to see how they're going to do camera control. Because if yeah. you're putting everything on the right stick, like, how's camera control going to work then? So it could be yeah. very weird. But, yeah, they didn't really talk about it other than, hey, we're putting attacks on the right stick. Cool, right? Um, and I think, like, Which, I mean, a lot of people are going to play this for the first time now because they didn't like the idea of motion controls yeah which is a good thing um i would say the only like kind of bad thing is, is like they're calling this just skyward sword hd it's just it doesn't look like they've done a whole lot to the graphics like it still kind of just looks like a wii game at the end of the day like it looks a little bit better but not like super better <laughs> Yeah. But I think it's one of those things where, like, I'm not surprised by that. And then also, they had the terrible thing where they had Alnoma come out and be like, yeah, we're not talking about Breath of the Wild 2. Shut the fuck yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that part was pretty rough. That he's like, I know you guys saw me and thought that I was going to talk about Breath of the Wild 2, but I'm not going to do that. We have no news to share. Which we'll I, give it to you later this year. Yeah, I get that. Like, you have to come out and say that because people are going to assume immediately that's what you're coming to talk about. Yep. But to, to, to just come out and just be like, yeah, we have nothing to say at the moment. Like... Oof. Also, um, still no Metroid Prime. Nope. Still no Bayonetta. Still no Bayonetta. So, like, it just felt like a very weird thing. Like, Nintendo's... I don't know where Nintendo's... Where Nintendo is right now. Like, they just don't have a whole lot out there that's going to be happening in the first half of this year. Oh, also, um, things that we didn't talk about. There's Hyrule Warriors DLC, which I'm not going to get. Um, which that says something. Uh, there was a Warriors game though that showed up. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so, but I, honestly, yeah. though, if if you're put if you're putting out a trailer for a Warriors like a mainline Warriors game in your direct, like that kind of is ind indicative of man, we don't have a lot to talk about. <laughs> man, shh. Warriors games are great and deserve all the love. Uh, the Japanese direct had a, a trailer for Caligula Effect Two, which I'm interested in just because of. I really like that anime. I didn't like the game. So yeah, the hopefully, anime is great. Hopefully they can fix up the, the game portion of that. I hope so. And make it a little bit better to play and all that. Because um, it was basically unplayable to begin, yeah. like in the first version. But I think outside of that, that's that's, that's basically it. It was not that. It was ever. I think a lot of people were just like coming out of that. It was like, oof. Oof. Yikes. I uh, did not realize until... You know, I saw a bunch of chuds on Twitter. Um, how much people seem to dislike Skyward Sword? Well, yeah, that's, that's been much... the case for since Skyward Sword came out. <laughs> well, 
the thing is, is that people were like, well, what about my Twilight Princess? And I'm like, when do people start liking Twilight Princess? Because from what I understood, people hated Twilight Princess. Yeah, play a better Zelda game than Twilight Princess. <laughs> like, good God. People like to complain about the opening of Skyward Sword. Go f replay the opening of Twilight Princess, man. Right? That right? Also, you got a f remake on the Wii U. Also, supposedly they're going to just re-put those, those Wii U ports on the Switch at some point. That's the rumor. That's the rumor, and so people were upset that they didn't get that. And I'm like, like I said, and and we've talked about this before. Zelda fans are terrible. Yeah. Um, because they're always complaining about something. But, um, I say that as somebody who really loves the Zelda franchise. Uh, but people hated Twilight Princess when it came out because, or. It was not when it came out. It was soon after. They're like, oh, we didn't like this because it didn't Well, they, they hated this, it this, this. at the reveal as well. Yeah, that's true. Or no, no um, they probably, I think, liked it because it was the, the adult Link stuff. So they're probably like, ooh, Wind Waker was the one they hated at the reveal. Yeah, they hated Wind Waker at the reveal. But Twilight Princess, like, as it went along, people were like, oh, we didn't like this game. And then Skyward Sword came out and people seem to like it fine and i guess like people stopped liking that too i don't i don't think the case was people liked it fine that i think people did not like that game when it came out and continue to have not, to have not liked that game since it came out really yes I heard, like great things about it and i loved it so, i have i don't know i have consistently heard negative things about skyward sword since it came out hmm. um but now people have circled back around they're like well twilight princess is the good game like what Twilight Princess is a mediocre Legend of Zelda game. Yeah, it's it's definitely not like top tier for me. Um, one thing that I did think that was kind of bizarre about the Skyward Skyward Sword announcement was they're like, oh yeah, look at these things that we got from Skyward Sword that went into Breath of the Wild. And I was <laughs> like, hey, we talked about that. Like that. Yes, thank you for listening to our podcast where we talked about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that Nintendo Direct wasn't great. That's, it could have been better. I, they could have done a lot of things better, I think, in that that whole thing. Uh, but yeah, that's that. There's a PlayStation thing coming out Thursday. You'll have already heard all the news about it by the time this comes out. So maybe if there's anything interesting, we'll talk about that next week as well. Yeah. I don't. I think they're just talking about PS5 games. So who knows if that's going to be interest, anything worthwhile for us. But yeah. Yeah. If there's anything, we'll talk about it. For now, let us move on to our next topic of discussion. Our next segment. Our next segment. Um, Al, you watched a bad video about ranking Love Live characters, and we are going to negate that by putting out a better ranking of Love Live characters. Correct. Because the world needs it, and the world needs more objective rankings of Love Live characters that are factually true. Including girls that should have been included that were not. Exactly. We're going to rank uh, 29 gals, so mm -hmm. nine members of Muse, the nine members of Aqua, and then the 11, you could count, members of Nijigasaki. We won't do sub or not subunits, but like rival groups or anything like that, or all like yeah. the normal cards from School Idol Festival <laughs> nope. that eventually ended up in Nijigasaki. Um, so yeah, we're going to do this, and people will probably get mad at it, but who cares at the end of the day? It's fine. This is objective, and if you disagree, you're wrong. Correct. There you go. Let's just start with Moose. Moose. Um, 
we probably shouldn't have put out all the numbers here because like that's just not gonna work because we're gonna this this list is gonna change yeah we done goofed i would say this is fixable gun done goofed and done <laughs> fixed uh honk there you go honk. number one with a bullet <laughs> for now uh so this is like i think i don't know what the order is for this but some sometimes the orders is weird for these uh next up we have ellie where would you put ellie in terms of honk above or below a honk i would put her below a honk i would also put her below a honk like ellie's like fine she's, but she's like fine and hanukkah is also kind of just fine but she's i think just she has i think a little bit more going on in um I think her arc in the the anime has some interesting ideas that the anime just doesn't capitalize on, unfortunately, because, yeah. man, Original Love Live is not a good anime. It's not good. But I would definitely take her over Ellie. Uh, yeah. Kotori. I would definitely put her below Ellie, too. <laughs> like, her, her character is basically, I'm a secret maid, and also I make costumes. Also, I'm Hanukkah's friend. Also, I just don't tell you important information that I should tell you for no good reason. Just oh, God, right. Drama. Man. Uh, Umi's just going to go straight to the bottom of the list. Straight to the bottom. Straight to the bottom. Umi's whole character is, I am Hanukkah's friend, and also, I'm a f***ing She's so mean. She's a jerk. She's a terrible like, character. Like, a legitimately terrible character. Legitimately a terrible character. I don't understand why anyone was like, oh, she's a good friend. She's a good character. No, she's neither of these things. She's a terrible person. Look, I'm just going to get, I'm going to be mean all the time just because that's how I feel like that's how friends work. Also, I'm going to just fat shame my friends because yeah. why not? Terrible. Ugh. Terrible character. Very bad. Absolutely terrible. The only redeeming thing about Umi is her voice actress. Yes. In Japan. I don't know about her English one. I don't remember who it is. It's f Christina V, isn't it? No, it's Katori. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, right. Uh, but yeah, Umi's voice actress is good, and she's also married to Kazuchika Okada, which is very funny. Mm. <laughs> always will be funny. <laughs> I just want to, I always have this idea of Okada showing up to Love Life Fest and being like, what the have I got myself into? <laughs> I hope that that happens, honestly. I also hope that happened. Uh, Rin. I mean, she's above Umi for sure. Yeah. Um, like the only interesting thing they really do with her is the episode where like she feels like she's not girly enough. But that's literally one episode out of two seasons that they do something with her. I think that's more interesting than what they do with Umi, Katori, and Ellie. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also fair. she makes cat noises. Yeah. Positive. Yeah. Uh, Maki. I personally like Maki better than two through five here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she's got the Sundari thing going on, which is a little annoying at times, but, um, also she's is like, oh yeah, by the way, we have like a hospital that we own that's in the family. That's kind of cool, I guess. Um, she says that, not me. Um... I think that the one thing that I find really interesting with her is, like, her relationship with Nico. Totally. And, like, you know, that kind of makes you hinge on another character to be good. But, um, 
it it does make her at least somewhat interesting. They're I mean they're probably maybe the two most interesting characters in the show. Yes, I agree with you. So does that make her number one? That makes her number one at the moment. Interesting. It it won't last, yeah. but Nozomi, grody gal. Grody. Here, okay, here is the the qualification for if you are at the very bottom of the list. Yeah. Do we say Umi being a complete asshole is the bottom of the list, or Nozomi being a sexual assaulter is the bottom of the list? Uh, I'm gonna go with sexual assaulter goes to the bottom of the list. There you go. Congrats, Umi. You survived because Nozomi <laughs> sexually assaults people. And also, like, is not doesn't know how to be friends with anyone. No. She's read the same book for many years. God. All this is doing just reminded me of, man, Love Life, the Love Life, the first Love Life anime is just a mess. It's not, it's not good. It's not. Uh, Hanayo. She likes, she likes rice. She likes idols. She likes idols. She likes rice. Um, I'd probably... I'd probably put her above Ren. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same. And then Nico's just going straight to the top. Nico's straight to the top. Because she is the Nico only good is... character to come out of original Love Life. She's the only good character. She actually has, like, depth and a storyline. And, you know, she's kind of a gremlin. But, like, we know that she does a lot of her gremlin behaviors to, like, cover up some of her insecurities. And, like, that's actually... You know, some layers to her. It's pretty good. She's like one of the few characters that actually gets character development in that series. Yeah. Congrats, uh, Nico. You're the best so yay. far. Yay. Let's yay. move on to Aqua. Aqua. Chica. Number one. <laughs> Easy. Easy. Rico. I would put her around like Ellie. Really? Yeah. But you know I don't really like Rico all that much. She she doesn't do a whole lot in terms of her character. I think I would put her at like five. I could accept that. Because I think she's a little bit better than Rin and Hanio. Uh, Kanon. She's going to go down there with Umi. Kanon is, I think, just a... Uh, I talked about this. I wrote this in my book. Um. There's a lot of, I think, missed opportunities with Kanon because there's a yes, lot just like left on the table with her character where like once you get past like the first three quarters of season one, she just kind of falls off the face of the earth until the yep. Miracle Wave episode. Yep. Um, so like there's just so much more you could have done with that character. Especially given the situation with her having to deal with the like dive shop and everything mm -hmm. when like her dad is apparently sick and she's having to help out with the dive shop. Like there's so much you could have done there. And... They just didn't do anything with her. And, like, even outside of the anime, like, in the games, like, she's just not a very interesting character. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh... But she is better than Umi because she's not a complete asshole. Yes. Is she better than Kotori? I would, I would say, say yeah. yeah. I would say yes. Is she better than Ellie? No. Mm. I don't think so. <laughs> Try to make more noises, but I couldn't. <laughs> I would say that they're at least equivalent. So we should put her above. No. If they're equivalent. 
Then why would she go above? Because she's better. Why? What makes her better? I think the idea that they kind of portray of Kanon initially, where, like, she is the adamant kind of villain of the series for the first, like, seven, eight episodes. And then when they bring her back, actually kind of back into the fold for, like, the Miracle Wave episode, where she's like, hey, like, all of this stuff could go very badly. We've seen how this could go very badly. I don't want this to go very badly for us now that we're, like, you know, close to the shot at making it to Love Live and everything. And, like, she has to go face-to-face -face with, like, Chica's determination to be like, no, I can do anything that I set my mind to and everything. Like, I think those are very interesting ideas that the show portrays. Like, even though, like we said, like, there's a lot of just, like, missed opportunities with her character, I think there are better moments with Kanon than there are better moments with Ellie. I mean, honestly, the Miracle Wave stuff is all contingent on Chica being such a great character, though. Right, but she also just needs that foil to be like, hey, you need to, if you can't do this, we will pull out because I don't want to see people get hurt. And for us to completely ruin our shots. I mean, I'm not going to fight you over Kanan because she's <laughs> not worth it, but I personally think she's below Ellie, but I'm fine with her going above Ellie because, like I said, they're, they're equivalent. You don't win anything. I win. <laughs> Another argument one for the good guys. <laughs> Are you calling me the bad guys? Get out of here. <laughs> Is a joke. Uh, Daya. I would personally put Daya at number three at the moment. She would go above Maki. I honestly would have said the same thing. Like, Daya is okay. such an underrated character. Um, Very underrated. That... It really took me a few like watch it watch this to be like, man, her character is so good. It's so She's kind of there's so many good. layers to her character that just kind of go unnoticed when you're watching through the first first time or something like that, where right. you just kind of don't notice like the intricacies of what she's dealing with or what, you know, she's trying to manage and juggle with, you know, Chica and her group and then the third years and everything. It's just there's so much stuff happening and then obviously to Ruby too. Yeah, obviously like there's all the stuff with Ruby and that will happen later in the series as well. Like, there's just a lot to her character that I think really, really works within the yeah. confines of that series. She's a very good. I like how it cut off. It just you said she's a very good. And I agree. She is a very good. She's a very good character. Yes. Uh, yo. Yo, Soro. Um. Where would I put Yo? I might put Yo right below Daya. I might put her under Maki because I think she has also a problem where like she kind of just kind of comes and goes in this in the series where there's a lot of times where she kind of just like will show up and be prominent and then just kind of gets pushed to the side for Chica and Rico. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because I think he was a, a really fun character. But yeah, I agree. I think that that part of the series kind of hurts her more than helps. 
Mm-hmm. So you think she is a worse character than Maki? That's a good question. Like, I would say I like Yo more than Maki, but is she a better character? That's the question. Yeah. I think they're at least able to get into her head a little bit more than they do with Maki. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Okay. Like, she, she deals with a lot of insecurity and, you know, she's more than just the best friend at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yoshiko. Yohane. Uh, Dose. Hanamaru. I really like Zura. Mm-hmm. I wish they did more with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is also around the range of like Maki-ish yeah. for me. Because um, she's a very good character and you see a lot of her shine in like All Stars and School Idol Festival. Um, and, you know, she is big ride or die for her friend's character. I just wish they did more with her in season two. Mm-hmm. I so. agree with all of those parts. Like, I think really she she gets her time to shine in the the Hakodate arc because mm-hmm. that's basically just kind of focused in on the first years. But even then, she's kind of maybe the third or fourth wheel in that. Yeah. In that part of it, um, it's part of me that wants to just put her at number five just because of the scene at the on the, in the final episode alone. Where they ha- I'd be fine with that. Where they have to say goodbye to the library. Because that, yeah. that f- scene breaks me every time. Yep. Yep. Uh, Mari. I'm glad that her levels of sexual assault were not as high. Right. They kind of like get that um, out of their systems early and then they're like, this is not good. We shouldn't do this. Yeah. Um. And Mari, honestly, like, I didn't expect to really like her all that much because she's just like the eccentric rich girl kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but she really does get her her time to shine with the uh, <laughs> shine with the the third year arc. Um, but also with her um, the arc in the second season where they're dealing with well, actually several arcs. Uh, one the miracle wave one where you get to see a little bit more of what makes her tick. Um, or made her tick and to um, when she gets to like fly up in the sky in her car and they're having to deal with like what's our future like mm-hmm. um, Mari's kind of a good character uh, and I think that a lot of what helps her is Ina in general yeah like, Ina's delivery on Mari is just insanely good. Um, that being said, I like Ina better than I like Mari. Yeah. So, 
that makes it a little bit harder to for me to like separate them but i do know that like i don't like mari as much as i like some of the other girls in well any many of the arcs um just because of she's just not as as good in my opinion mm-hmm. um I don't know, maybe like honk level. Okay. What about you? What do you think? I think that's that's probably about where I would put her. Cool. But where? Um. Okay. I'm trying to decide. Would she go below Rico? No. You don't think so? No. Would she go below honk? I think she slots in above honk. Okay. Uh, and then finally, Ruby. Mari Maki. Mari Maki. Ruby. Ruby! Um, Ruby is, as you know, my fave. Correct. Um, and really, what, where she gets to shine is the Agatate arc and the movie. Yes, both correct. Um... Because we get to see a lot of development with Ruby and who she is as a person, how she's growing, how she's dealing with um, Daya leaving. Um, she goes through a lot of growth and becomes like the de facto like future leader of Aqua, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And I, I love seeing her her develop. Um In terms of this list, I would probably put her maybe below Daya above Hanamaru. That's kind of where I am thinking as well, but I'm trying to think whether I would put her above or below Daya. I mean, I personally... Uh, Yes, personally. I know what you would do, but... uh, Yeah, I, I would personally probably put her above Daya. Um, but I think the thing about the Kurosawas is that they both get a lot of development and a lot of it is really good development. Right. So you can't really go wrong there. They're just um very different styles of development. And and like you said, like she get Ruby obviously, you know, she goes from starting off with being just incredibly timid and, you know, not wanting to be found by anyone that she doesn't know or anything like that to where like like you said at the by the time we get to the near the end of the movie she's like the leader of the first years and essentially being kind of prepped up to be hey if the second years leave and you guys still want to do aqua like you're probably going to be the new leader yeah and i mean like that's so much development Mm -hmm. and i mean the thing that's really cool about ruby is that you know she does still have a lot of her like quirks and awkwardness to her even though she has a bit more confidence in herself by the end of it um like she she's still shy and she's still kind of like deer in headlights at times but you know she she knows more of who she is and what she wants and knows how to help her friends better than she did at the beginning Mm -hmm. and like that's super cool it's a lot of that kind of comes part and parcel with like the development of Daya as well. So like it's kind. Of, this is a very hard decision. 
Yeah. Because, like, they, their whole arcs very well just, like, mesh together. Their whole developments mesh together because a lot of, like, how they, you know, they grow as people is reliant on their the other person. Yeah, their relationship together. Yes. And, I mean, you have the really, really cool stuff with, um, like, my Mai where they're having to kind of work together to bring people together who don't know each other right. so um like that's a really neat thing that you know they're they're two very different girls um in terms of like how they present themselves how they function really <laughs> personality wise um but they're able to come together work together because they care about each other so much and they also care about aqua so they're like all right you know what we will figure this out mm -hmm. it's great They're good gals. Man, I just keep thinking of that scene um, where they talk outside by the, like, restaurant. Yeah, that, that scene is just incredibly good. It's so well done. I mean, like I said, I, I know where I would put her, but where would you put her? I'm not going to be offended if you put her below Daya, but I think she goes above Daya. I think our, our discussion there kind of gave her the slight push to go above. But, like, it's very close. Like, those two just, like, you know, like you said, there's there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of similarities in both of the developments to where, like, you know, it's hard to separate them, but also, like, they both have really good arcs throughout the series, so. Also, on a rewatch, I realized that Daya as a small Daya piggies, which is great. It's true. Uh, really now we're going to move to Nijigasaki. Nijigasaki! Uh, we're going to start off with Ayamu. Ayamu. There are parts of her that I think that they she got done dirty in the anime. Yeah, I would agree. Um, she's a much better character in All-Stars. Mm -hmm. Like, much, much better. Um, where would I put her? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Because um, like you said, like, I think some of the anime stuff, just in general, for a lot of the characters, is going to kind of come into odds with how our portrayal of them has become through learning about them through All-Stars and subsequent stuff as well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think because, you know... The rest of them have two seasons and a movie. Whereas um, the, the DG girls only have a singular anime at the moment and a lot of all-star stories. So, like, there's a lot of differences between how... It, it, there's a difference between, obviously, like, these first two groups have a complete arc, a complete story yeah. arc. They have a beginning and an ending. The DG girls do not have that yet. Nope. So, I think with these rankings, like, these could eventually fluctuate... Yes. Because of, you know, we don't know exactly where their story is going to go from beginning to end at the moment. We're still kind of in that middle portion of it, potentially. Um, I think right now I might put Ayamu above Mari. Okay, that's about what I was thinking. Is I was thinking around Honk area, yeah. so. Uh, Kasumi. Oh, Cosme's good. Um, uh, 
I'm having a hard time deciding on this one. Kazumi for me might go in at number three. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Kazumi has such a good arc, and I, she's probably one of the the characters who is least done dirty in the anime. Yes. To where, like, she, you know, her arc is very similar to what it is in All Stars and everything. But like, she is, you know, she's the gremlin character, quote unquote. But also, yeah. she's just incredibly ride or die for the club and everything, and that's very much shown throughout All Stars with all the trials and tribulations they've gone through in that story. Mm-hmm. To where, you know, in the season two portion of the story where she's just like, I am going to defend the club. I will be a part of the club no matter what. You will not let me, you will not get me to leave or anything. And if anyone leaves, f*** them. They're traitors. Yeah. I also really, in the anime, the episode where Shizuku's having so many problems Mm -hmm. and Kasumi's like, you know what? Let's figure this out. You're my friend. Her ride or die is like extends past just the club itself where like, for the people she cares about. So, like, she is just, like, the ultimate, like, hey, if you are friends with me, we are good to go. I will yeah. I will take a bullet for you if I have she to. She will defend your honor. Yes. She is, she is a, so good. an incredibly good character, especially for someone who, like, on, you know, at first glance, you kind of think, like, oh, she's a joke character. She's just, like, yeah. the goofy com- comedic relief. But, like, there's just so much more to her than that that... I think is really accentuated in all stars, but also the anime does a really good job of kind of like showing those qualities of her as well. Yeah. Yeah. She's a really good character. She's a coup. She's a I had a hard time connecting with her until the anime. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause she doesn't get a whole lot of like time to shine really other than like her acting until like we get to her episode in the anime and then i was like oh now i get you yeah um and that made me like her a lot more Mm. where do you live shizuku probably in a house (laughs) (laughs) and similar to how we were talking about, like, Maki and Nico have a really good dynamic. Like, Kasumi and Shizuku have a really good dynamic. Yes. Um, and that that is, is very good. Um, I would probably put her above Maki. I was kind of thinking the same. Because, yeah, like I, like you said, like the 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 anime, the episode they do specifically for her and then her song and everything, like does a really good job kind of like diving into her just like mental state of having to be like, what do I want to do? What do, Who do I want to be? Like, I do like all this acting and stuff, but sometimes like I don't know who exactly I am as a person anymore. Like I've lost that sort of portion of myself. And then like Kasumi kind of comes in and is like, gets her out of this funk and everything gets her out of all these like self-doubts and like imposter syndrome and everything and it does does a really good job of that and, and all that um like you said i think she does get a, like a little bit of a downwardsness in the all-star story i think she kind of got a better portion of it in season two um yeah her, her the most recent chapter in season two was really good for her yeah but like outside of that like she kind of was just like there she's like oh she's the actor who does idol stuff now but, like, mm-hmm. some of the stuff, like, later on, she's gotten a lot better characterization and development and everything, so. Yeah. There's that. Uh, Karen. She's sexy. 
That's her. That's her. Her character. <laughs> no, that's not her entire character. She also gets lost a lot. Um, I think that the the interesting thing that they do with Karen as a character is I'm trying to think of a way to word this that she's the one that really embraces the whole idea of like we're in the same club but we're rivals. Mm-hmm. Um, she embraces that more than anybody else in Niji. And I think that's interesting to think about because up until this point, we'd had like a coherent group. It was for, you know, a little bit with Katori and all that BS that happened. Um, that could have actually been interesting, but they didn't make it interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you have a group and, you know, they're friends and they they work together um, and Karen, like, she obviously cares about everybody in the group and, like, she considers them friends, um, but she really is attached to the rivalry, the friendly rivalry of it, and I think she's more attached to it than anybody else, mm-hmm. which I think makes her interesting, um, more so than just, like, hey, I'm the sexy one. I think she also, and- like, going into that, like, she's very much kind of, like, maybe the most out of everyone that like embraces the showmanship of being an idol. Like she kind of gets that mm-hmm. aspect of it, I think better than maybe anyone else on this list. Right. That being said, I think a lot of her character is still kind of up in the air. Not just like up in the yeah. air, but like it's, there's a lot left to be, I think written about her. Yes. Like her I arc is still kind of in flux and to be determined essentially. Yes. Like I think, out of maybe anyone on this list, like she's probably going to be the one that will probably fluctuate the most. Yeah. At the moment. With that being said, where would you put her on this list? At the moment, I would probably put her. I'm being completely honest, I'd put her below Rico at the moment. Hey, that's where also I was thinking. Cool. Cool. Uh, I. What a good gal. What a good one. I is so good. I is very energetic. She is, you know, she's the gal character, but like she kind of like doesn't really accentuate like that stereotype. Like, she has just, like, the look of it, but, like, she's not just, like, the traditional, like, oh, I'm an airhead type character. Like, no, she's just, like, she's very energetic. She loves things that her friends are into. She she's lo- super smart. She's super smart. She's very ride or die for her friends and everything. Um, she's I also just- love the dynamic with, with her and Rena. That, yes. Like, at one point, Rena is sad in the anime. She's like, oh, hey, you're by yourself. Let's be friends. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, look at you. You're very kind. I might put I in at number seven. I was exactly thinking the same thing. Cool. Great minds think alike. Uh, mm-hmm. Kanata, the sleepy gal. The sleepy gal. I think Kanata's another one that's, that her arc's kind of just in f- to be determined at the moment. Like, all of her, her story is, like, you know, she sleeps a lot. And she loves her and sister. And she loves her sister, which the anime kind of goes a little bit more into than maybe All-Stars does, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Outside of that, there's not a whole lot else to her. Not yet. Not yet, which is unfortunate. I feel like eventually yeah. we're going to get that, but like as of right now, it's just like 
it's an interesting character. Yeah. Just like, hey, here's a girl who just sleeps all the time and gets up <laughs> and is like, hey, what's up? I'm ready. Yeah, I had initially come into Niji thinking like, oh, this is easily going to be my favorite. I really like her. Um, and I do still like her, but she's not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there is a lot that can be done with her that they haven't done yet. Yeah. Uh, so she kind of is in the same situation as Karen and that like mm-hmm. there's good there, but they haven't fully developed that good yet. Yeah. I would agree with that. So does, does she go in above or below Karen? I would put her above. Okay. 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 Uh, Setsuna. Setsuna! Also a very good character. Setsuna's fun because obviously she lives the double life as the student council president for a time She's being. She's Hannah Montana. Uh, in All-Stars and the anime, she keeps that role for the entire entirety of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing how she kind of like walks those two personas. Yeah. Because they're very different from each other. Like obviously the Setsuna idol is, you know, very confident and everything, but like her student council persona is very reserved and everything. And, you know, she has to like keep a prim and proper look and everything. She has to keep this, uh, image up for her parents and everything and can't let anyone know that she's like also this idol who secretly does all these shows and everything is very popular like i think that's all very interesting um not to mention like the fact that she's totally an otaku and has to mm-hmm. keep that under wraps yeah. like that's a really cool thing about her i think the stuff she she goes through in all stars is more interesting than what she goes through in the anime i agree with you although i do like how the anime presents uh this interesting relationship between her and you Mm-hmm. where like you kind of like gets her out of like the funk of not being an idol and then like they're able to bond over that and everything and kind of come together through that relationship of just like being idol fans essentially um and then once she goes through an all-stars with like you know eventually losing the student council presidency um and having to kind of like re readjust like how she lives her life and everything how she kind of comes to terms with she everything has to reevaluate reevaluate herself. yeah that's what i was looking for um like i think all that's really good as well and then how she kind of like navigates all that to to where she is today i think it's all really really good and plus also just being like a support for the rest of the niji girls because mm-hmm. she has more experience than anybody yeah. so far um so she she's kind of like the coach and she's got the interesting like little rivalry with kasumi mm-hmm that I don't think she realizes that she's in the rivalry with Kasumi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that that's really fun. Yeah. So th- there's a lot good about her. Yeah. Uh, where would you put Setsuna on the list? I might put her above I. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Emma. She's from Switzerland. She is from Switzerland. Um, I I think that the neat thing about Emma is is once again how supportive she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really wants her friends to be happy. Really, really wants her friends to be happy. Yeah. Uh, I think that she also is kind of in the same boat as uh, Karen Akanata, which is weird. It's like, oh, hey, our third years 
need a little bit more development going on here. Yeah. Um, but I think that that, uh, it sets them up for a good place. And I think that they could do some, some neat development with them. Um, and the whole idea that she saw idols and like moved to Japan and learned Japanese, everything just so she could become an idol is like, it's adorable. Uh, I think that um, one of the the most interesting things that I've seen with Emma so far is actually in All Stars. Uh, I think it's her like Bond level stories where she uh, is really interested in like becoming more acquainted with Japanese culture and she wants to wear the kimono and she mm -hmm. ends up working in the shop and um, working with the one girl and kind of becoming like she inherits some, some like an idol song yeah, and becomes part of like this, this cycle of people um, really becoming attached to the song and continuing it forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really neat idea that like, that was the song that really inspired her and that she keeps, she gets to keep that tradition alive of that song since she would be the third person who's used it. Yeah. Um, like that, that was a really cool sub story. I liked it a lot. Um, like I said, I think that there is more that can be done with Emma that has not been done yet. Yeah, I agree. Where would you put her? Honestly, my maybe in the same range as the other 30 years. <laughs> Cause like I said, like there's just, there's not. That's what I was thinking. I was just trying to figure out where she would go. There's a lot still left on the table for her, just like the other third years, which is mm -hmm. unfortunate. But I, I, I'm assuming at some point we'll get that. Yeah, I, I hope so at least. I think she might have a little bit more going on than Karen and Kanata, though. Yeah, I agree with you. So, there you go. Uh, Rena. Rena! I like Rena. Uh, I wasn't sure what to expect with Rena when we first got her. Mm-hmm as like a character announcement, I was like, okay, she's got the board. That's, that's okay. Um, I think that one of the best things that they do with Rena, uh, you know, she has the issue with, uh, she can't express herself. She's not able to really have her facial expressions match what's going on in her head. Um, but I think the cool thing about Rena, and um, this could be a lot of just me like, reflecting on her, is that we do have a character here that feels like she has like anxiety disorders that's dealing with it, that is becoming an idol and trying to like grow through that. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really cool. Uh, that we have this person who might be potentially like neurodivergent in this. And uh, I, I don't even think that it's potentially she is. And uh, her relationship with I is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and I think one of the neat things about her is that we see her making friends outside of the group. And her, her friends end up like really caring about what she's doing and wanting to hang out with her and wanting to go to her shows. And so we see that, that development of her as a character that she's able to 
actually make friends and have them see who she really is Mm -hmm. that's that's a really neat thing a lot of that comes with like the in the anime specifically like the development of the Rinchon board and everything where she's actually able to finally kind of express emotions and show people like oh this is exactly this is what i'm feeling and not just like i can't show you because my face doesn't do that which is interesting i think the 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 interesting thing about like the the divergence of the anime and all stars is that the anime goes very much into she doesn't have that stuff yet until her episode comes about whereas in all stars she already has that stuff going into it yeah and you have to learn about it as you go forward yeah getting the the rena chan board uh backstory is interesting Mm -hmm. and that whole um like scene in her apartment in the anime with the box yeah is just phenomenal it's really really good it's a really, really well done scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made me like her so much. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, where does she go on the least? Hmm. Rena, where do you live? I'm going to throw out a number at you. Okay. Number 10. Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. Uh, and finally, we get to our two bonus characters. Bonus road. <laughs> Shiriko. This is a good character. Shiriko is a fantastic character. She's a um, really good character. She obviously gets, I think, the most development in All Stars because she kind of comes in as the villainous character, and then kind of we see just like why is she like this? What has what in her backstory has caused her to kind of like have this reaction to people? How is she able to kind of overcome things specifically with, you know, with the help of, of the, the player character and everything. And then eventually like her friendship with IMU also helps us. Um, and then seeing as we, as we see stuff in season two, where like, you know, things even get even weirder where she has to like confront people from her past. And how does she kind of come to grips with that now or with where she is as a character today? Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of her development and her, character arc so far has just been maybe some of the best stuff in all stars yeah i agree with you to where like i think it's quite possible she's my like i think i've said this on the the niji podcast where like she's probably my favorite niji character out of all she's the girls not my favorite but i do really like yeah. her um with that being said i think shiriko is a top five character rip ruby <laughs> thoughts th- thoughts opinions um She's a very good character. Yes. And I was I was definitely thinking top 6. What I was going to do is split Ruby and Daya and put her between them. But I mean, she she is a super super good character. I might put her above Nico, but that's me. That's personal. Whoa. That's my personal opinion. But again, that's me. Yeah. Hmm. This is hard. Would you accept a number five? Just throwing it out there. Like. Ugh. Okay, so you were originally thinking of four, and I was originally thinking six. Yeah, just split the middle. <laughs> That's the law of averages. Rip Ruby. Ruby's still a top ten character. I know. 
just makes me sad. So are you okay with that? or? Because she grows so much. She does so many things that are really, really good. Or do you want to push back against it? I just... Ruby's development is so good. It is. I will completely agree with you. And she comes so far from the beginning. Again, I will completely agree with you. I'm just having a hard time accepting that. If, if you have a problem with it, you, you're more than welcome to, to say. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I really think she's a fantastic character. Like I said, I think that she's definitely, like, she's number six for me, easily. Okay. Um, I just, I, I don't know that she's able to top the development that Ruby goes through. Okay. And, you know, it might be a situation of, you know, she she ends up higher for me after we get more of her story. Totally. But at the moment, I'm just like, Ugh. Okay. 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 But she's so good. So I accept that being there is good. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then finally, we have the anime protagonist, Dude Bro You. I was going to say Dude Bro. You have um, such an interesting take on the the All Stars player character because uh-huh. they I think they kind of have some similarities, but the anime kind of goes in this completely different direction in some yeah. cases, where like you know she obviously is just like this big idol fan and everything, and has to kind of balance all of the girls' wants and needs and everything, but while also just kind of just being she's just a regular old member of the club in the anime, whereas in the the game she is the president. Um, and is more kind of involved with like the song creation aspect rather than in the anime. She kind of just is around yeah. at times. Um, so, so it's a weird dichotomy between the two characters. She's more glue guy in the anime. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has that role in the game too, but it, more heavily in the anime. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. And I think that by no fault of her own, the whole like IMU sub story with her kind of drags her down a bit. Yeah. I think, that, I think that's just a problem of that anime in general. Yeah. Because that was like, oh, I don't like that. I do think her anime character is helped just because Hinaki is literally that character. Yeah. She has literally, literally become the embodiment of that character. Yes. In such a way that I don't think anyone actually expected. <laughs> no, no. It's fantastic. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, And like the dude bro aspect of her is hilarious. It's really good. Like she's straight up dude bros so much. Where does she live for you? Hmm. I might put her around 10. I accept that. Okay. Bye, Hanamaru. All right, that's our list of Love Live gals. We made it. The better list. The better list. So from worst to first, we have Grody Nozomi, Umi, Kotori, Ellie, Kanan, Rin, Hanayo, Karen, Kanata, Emma, Riko, Hanukkah, Mari, Ayumu, Maki, 
Shizuku, Yo, Rina, Hanamaru, Yu, I, Setsuna, Daya, Shiariko, and then our top five of Ruby, Nico, Kasami, Yoshiko, Chika. Yohane. Chika. <laughs> Chika is easily the best of these characters. It's true. Easily. And any list that says otherwise is wrong. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's our ranking yes. of Love Live Gals. Yeah. Objective and true. Yes. And has two characters that deserve to be on the list anyway. It's true. Uh, now let's transition over to our reoccurring segment now. Al experiencing the Yakuza series because that went longer than I anticipated. Sorry. No, it's not your fault. Just that I thought that might have gone quicker, but it did not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've talked about Yakuza 0 last week. We also kind of very quickly went through Yakuza 1. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the thing with Yakuza 1 is there's not a whole lot to it. Yeah. Just it goes in very general. Quickly. Yeah. Um, we played Kiwami, which is the remake of of Yakuza One. It's basically a shot for shot remake of the of the first game in general. Um, just with some added things here and there, but for the Prettyified. For, for the most part, it is just that base game, which is kind of basic in terms of gameplay. Not necessarily gameplay, because they just basically take over the Yakuza Zero engine and use that for the combat but in terms of like story it's pretty basic compared to what Zero was in the side quests are very basic yeah so i think the the to the fact where like we kind of just like skimmed through a lot of the side stuff where we just didn't do a whole lot of it because a lot of it's just kind of very like paint by numbers side content for a game of that came out in 2005 yeah they're not nearly as interesting as some of the ones that we've run into yeah especially in zero which I think that's just going to be the the case regardless. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the development of the original game and then of Kiwami okay. itself. Uh, this game was first hinted at in August of 2005 as Project J. Later that month, details were announced. Producer Toshihiro Nagoshi explained, For a while, I've wanted to create a powerful, gritty drama where you feel the sense of humanity, Nagoshi explained. After a lot of thought, this is the project that we've arrived at. The budget of the game was 2.4 billion in, approximately 21 million dollars. Nagoshi chose to focus on Yakuza's due to the amount of violence the subject tends to incorporate. This was also done in order to attract more gamers with this theme, believing there was there were less gamers during this during the time the game was made. Hmm. Uh, most of the team's members are from different backgrounds, such as developers that have roots in the arcade titles such as Virtual Fighter 3 and Super Monkey Ball, as well as team members having experience in novel console titles like Panzer Dragoon and Jet Set Radio. Team members all felt that they went against their careers, considering that the new game didn't match anything they had previously done. Nagoshi felt that this was an advantage, making them all making them all play on an even playing field. Anything that was done had to go through Nagoshi first, since he had only a concrete idea of how the game was going to end up. Uh, during development, the team researched hostess clubs, which are prominent, prominently featured in the story, even attending hostess clubs themselves, including Rapongi and Kabukicho. Uh, Kabukicho, excuse me. Uh, the, func- the fictional setting of Kamarocho in the game was. Closely based on the red light district of Kabukicho and Tokyo, the development team wanted to accurately portray Yakuza, especially since they're such as their obsession with Jingi, their code of honor. Originally, the game had scenes where pinky fingers were cut off, a traditional punishment, but these scenes were removed so that the Japanese rating system would give them a favorable rating. Though using the gameplay schematics of one of Nagoshi's earlier titles, Spike Out, as basis for their combat, Yakuza utilized an entirely new engine crafted for the game. Uh, this is a little bit about the writing. 
The game's development was divided into two groups, one writing the main plot and the other writing the subplots. Novelist Hase Seishu was the lead writer of the central plot. Seishu was brought on board two years before the game development started. Seishu had been a gamer since the days of Space Invaders, but over the past four or five years he had lost interest as he was less concerned with 3D visuals and gameplay than he was with story. Yakuza caught his attention, and he decided to accept the project even though it came at the busiest point of his professional writing career. Nagoshi wanted players to get enjoyment from merely walking through Kamurocho. He also revealed that the game's title was translated to Like a Dragon was his creation. Nagoshi felt the dragons have a strong image, which would invoke Kazuma's strength and manliness. <laughs> After Sega did have a plot in mind when they... Although Sega did have a plot in mind when they approached Seishu, they hoped that he could add realism and emotional weight to the scenes. Under Seishu's direction, the ages of Makoto Date and Kazuma Kiryu were modified. Writing the subplots did not prove challenging, as there was not a strict pattern to follow. The team wanted all subplots to keep the feeling from the main storyline. Several ideas did not make it into the game because the staff members found them silly. Which is very a real interesting thing, <laughs> considering where the series goes. Uh, one sub subplot that made the final cut, which involves a man who tried to commit suicide when he was re rejected by a girl, was nearly removed from this game for this reason. Of course, most notably about the original Yakuza game is the English localization. <laughs> uh, in localizing the game, Sega funded an aggressive web and print advertising campaign, as well as an English voice cast composed almost entirely of cult performers like Michael Madsen, Eliza Dushku, and Mark Hamill. <laughs> Localization producer Kevin Frain recalls, When we released the original Yakuza, we knew that the game had been a hit in Japan, and we wanted to make sure that we put our best foot forward, releasing a new and unique product to the Western market that would draw as much draw as much acclaim. However, technical limitations of the format made it impossible for the team to include both audio tracks on the disc. Scott Steinberg of Sega of America commented, In bringing the game to the U.S. market, we wanted to ensure that the subtle nu nuances of the game were brought to life. English voice actor Daryl Curio said that he wanted to sound as good as possible after being impressed by the characterization of Kiryu and the lines he had to give. However, he regrets some lines were lost in translation of the original game. Nevertheless, Curio enjoyed the experience to the point of playing the game multiple times alongside his son. There you go. <laughs> Play Yakuza with your kid. Uh, in order to fit the lip-syncing from the original Japanese game, Kiryu often had to say a line in different styles. Kiryu still found more fun when doing the yells for the fight scenes. So yeah, it was a very weird thing. Yeah. That English dub is very weird. Also, like, it's very 2005 English dub where it's just like, let's just add in as many curse words as we possibly can. Oh, man, there's so much cussing and like very out of place cussing. Mm -hmm. Very bizarre. It's very bizarre. Um, I also just think it's hysterical that Mark Hamill doesn't remember voicing it. It's very funny. It's very funny. It's like, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the development of Kiwami. Okay. Uh, series writer Masayoshi Yokoyama stated that Sega had plans to develop Kiwami in 2015 with the character or the, the company wishing gamers enjoy the first Yakuza game on more modern quality. However, they were busy during that time making the game Yakuza 0. Positive feedback to the prequel led to the making of Kiwami. The franchise's 10th anniversary and the engine used for Yakuza 0 also provided help, according to Yokoyama. Gameplay was made to be as friendly as possible to newcomers, with them being, with with being option there being options to save the game's progress whenever they wanted. There were ideas in regards to changing the cast and recordings of the original games, but the staff felt it would be it would not be an appealing remake if there were so many changes. Rather than making it look like a retro game, retaining the elements of the original PlayStation 2 games, the gameplay was made similar to eighth generation titles, most notably Yakuza Zero. 
Therefore, the team had to face the challenge of understanding the quality of the graphics and audio they could produce with the next generation console in contrast to the original console, which left the team wondering if there were issues with different parts of the game, like the way the original Yakuza camera worked. Uh, the new voice actors included Tomokazu Sugita, who plays Shinji. However, his characterization was left to keep was left to keep faithful to his bond with Kiryu, despite their different ranks. The story was further expanded to increase the length while adding new mini games. The fighting system was borrowed from Yakuza Zero, which focused with a focus on grinding. Similar to that game, Yakuza Kwame has strong depictions of violence, most notably in the heat action sequences the players can perform. Uh, Yokoyama stated that they wanted to make them as intense as possible. The plot was further explored to focus on the deaths of characters who did not have too many appearances on the original game. Uh, due to Goro Majima's popularity, he was made to clash with Kiryu often during side quests. Majima's characterization was influenced by previous games to keep him motivated with the idea of strength following the events of Yakuza 0, which further focused on him. Kiwami improves the resolution, frame rate textures, and loading times compared to the original game, and additional content was added to resolve some of the more confusing plot points, points as, well as, the, as well as tie the story more closely to the events of the prequel Yakuza 0. So there you go. Majima everywhere. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's the big kind of addition to Yakuza Kwame from the original game is the Majima Everywhere system where essentially you can kind of run around and then Majima will show up and you'll want to fight you and sometimes it's like <laughs> in various weird wacky ways and you kind of pop out of a traffic cone or behind a corner like ha! Yep. Uh, and you kind of level that up, and he'll kind of get more and more ridiculous outfits to wear and ways to fight him and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and you also kind of get a little bit of more story with him compared to what you would have had in the original game. Uh, mm -hmm. That kind of dives into some of like the, the stuff that would have happened between Yakuza 0 and Yakuza 1. But it also makes it confusing at times. It does make it very confusing because like, there are various plot points that kind of involve Majima where you would think he's not in the picture anymore, but then he kind of just, like, shows back up and is like, hey, I'm ready to fight you. And then also just, like, the characterization between original Yakuza 1 Majima and some of the stuff they put into the Majima Everywhere system is just kind of clashes with each other just because of how the original writing was compared to how people kind of see that character from Zero now. Yeah. So it's, it's a little kind of weird to say, to say the <laughs> least. Um... I do think us having played Zero added quite a bit to this experience, though, because I don't think that it would have hit as hard in certain moments um, if we had not played that. Yes. Um, because otherwise, like, you know that Nishiki is, like, your your brother, not literal brother, but your brother, and, you know, you just gotta have to deal with him and get some some story on what he's doing and who he is da, 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 da. um but with the background that we get in zero you understand more of like their dynamic and more about who he is as a person and like what he's dealt with and it makes a lot of these scenes hit way harder than i think they would have without that i completely 100 percent agree i get yeah, because I want to think story is, like, it's very simple. Like, mm -hmm. you could get it even without zero. You would kind of just kind of understand it. You know, it's not a whole lot to... It's fine. ...really think about. But, like, having the the predecessor of zero and having all of that knowledge that of what zero does and the story it tells really kind of adds more dynamicness to the story of Yakuza 1. And I think it makes you more invested in the story of Yakuza 1. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. So, it, if... 
it just it's just another layer to be like okay well now i kind of understand why these characters are like this now what's happened to these characters and what's led them to kind of be this way now whereas if you just play yakuza 1 by itself you kind of just be like yeah i get it but me i'm maybe not as like interested as if you were if you had played yakuza 0 right so yeah yeah there there's in my opinion quite a bit of difference um since we've actually played zero mm-hmm. um as as you said though it, it is quite a bit um more simple than zero was um in terms of like how the plot is told it's, it's one of those things where you can really see the difference in like 10 years of writing a series and knowing these characters yeah <laughs> and i mean that's valid mm-hmm. And I still had a really good time with us playing it. Yeah. Um, it was a very enjoyable experience. And um, I did think the Majima Everywhere system was pretty funny. I, I, I'm i sad that it takes so much to get through it. Yeah. like It makes sense. Like, you would want something to kind of, like, do. Because if you don't really have that, like, you can just breeze through this game. Yeah. Um. But getting to see him in all the different costumes and pulling his shenanigans was fantastic. Yeah. Um, also, we we have taken in a, a girl. Mm-hmm. Got we got a little girl here. We do. Let's talk about the plot of this game. Okay. Uh, so the game first starts off in 1995. You kind of see Kiryu as a as a member of the Dojima family, as was hinted at at the end of Yakuza 0. Collecting monies. Collecting monies. Um, you, like, meet up with Nishikiyama, see your bro and everything. You're getting the gift for this other girl you grew up at the orphanage with. You that to... you clearly have a crush on. The... Very clearly. Kira does not know how to deal with this. Um, whole thing about having to get a ring and everything, and then the whole song and dance about losing the ring and everything. Um... <laughs> Things turn bad when Nishiki kind of calls Kiryu and tells them, that, like, hey, I saw Patriarch Dojima take Yumi, the the girl, um, to his office. I'm going to go figure out what's going on. You eventually get to the office and you see that Nishiki has murdered Dojima because mm-hmm. he was trying to force himself onto Yumi. And Kiryu decides, you shouldn't take the blame for this. I'll take the blame for this. Yep. And... Kiryu goes to jail for 10 years. Yep. People try and kill him in jail, and he beats the crap out of him, and he wears his dumb sweatpants. Mm-hmm. Gets his hair shaved. Has the bland beige food. He uh, um, he eventually gets expelled from the Tojo clan, but not banished. He's not banished. Which is interesting. And then he finds out that Yumi has gone missing at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually he comes back and in 2005. Yes. And then once he comes back, like everything is kind of going into turmoil with the the Tojo clan. Um, Sarah, the third chairman now, basically has to tell everyone, hey, we lost 10 billion yen. <laughs> but yep. um, he has to tell everyone that because Nishiki basically brings it up at a at an officer's meeting. He's like, hey, where's the 10 billion yen? He's like, uh, I was going to tell you guys that, but I uh, didn't want to do it right now. Whoops. Thanks. Uh-oh. Uh, eventually, Kiryu finds Kazuma and tries to find out about Yumi's 
missing this and then what's going on with Nishiki. Uh, but then Kazuma gets shot. Uh, this is all while you have to like sneak into the Tojo clan headquarters for a funeral. It's for Sarah's funeral. Yeah, Sarah. Oh, yeah, Sarah gets murdered as well. He is moited. Moited. You have to sneak in for his funeral, and like you're just hanging out with with Kazuma on the couch, and somebody snipes him. And then uh, Shimano walks in, and is like, "Oh, Kiryu, you must have done that. Well, we're we gonna beat you up now." Kiryu's like, "Oh God, I gotta go." <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, Kiryu eventually has to fight his way out of the Tojo headquarters. He has to fight Shimano in like the the front gate of the Tojo clan headquarters, and then Nishiki just kind of looks on and is like, "Hey." Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's able to escape because uh, this guy just rolls up and is like, hey, get in my car. Dive into my car and we can get out of here. <laughs> uh, that person is Makino Date. He's a detective now. Um, he was one of the people who was investigating the Dojima murder. He was like one of the people who questioned Kiryu initially. Didn't really like kind of believe like he was the murderer and everything. But he's now trying to investigate the murder of Sarah. So he's like, I need you to help me figure out who's doing this. What's happening? Like, who did this? Also, here's a cell phone. Here's a cell phone. You need this. It's 10 years have passed. Cell phones are a thing now. Uh, basically, there's just a whole thing going on between, like, a big power struggle between the Tojo clan about who's going to become the next chairman and everything. Uh, Kazuma's injured. Nishiki's trying to weasel his way up. Shimano's also trying to weasel his way up. Um... And also, Kiryu's trying to figure out all that, also trying to figure out where Yumi is. He eventually finds this girl who's like... Um, he goes so he goes to this bar to talk with Date first, and then he goes back later on, and he f- walks in, and everyone's just been murdered. Moited! And there's just a little girl there who has a gun. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Can I have that, please? Can I have that? And she's like, I'm looking for my mom. Are you my mom? He's like, no. She doesn't say that. <laughs> So she's looking for her mom, who's named Mizuki. We've also learned uh, from Reina, the the bartender at Serena, that uh, Mizuki is supposedly Yumi's sister. Yes. And uh, the little girl, Haruka, tells us, like, oh, yeah, Uncle, you, or Uncle Aunt Yumi would come to the orphanage and tell me about my mom. Uh, she also gave Haruka a pendant to keep safe and everything. And then apparently Haruka and Yumi are connected to the missing 10 billion yen. Yep. Because sure, why not? Uh, a whole bunch of stuff happens in the midst of all this. Uh, it's also some like weird, like kind of like, like I think got to take care of a dog. Got to take care of a dog. But it's like the first third of the, the story is kind of like the main story. The middle part is kind of just weird. It's like kind of here's just some weird stuff that kind of happens that you kind of have to deal with to get to the main next part of the main story where like you meet the the florist and his huge information network and then you have to like help his son purgatory and all that yeah you go to purgatory and you help his son deal with yakuza dudes you help date with his daughter and everything like this is all like main story stuff but like it just feels very disconnected from the actual story itself it definitely does it's kind of like here's some filler to get you from point a to point b get to meet like the stardust kids and all that mm-hmm. gives you a, just like a an introduction to like a lot of like the prominent characters that you'll see throughout the rest of the series basically um 
eventually you kind of find out that like not only are the Tojo clan after the 10 billion, but like there's dudes from the Omi Alliance that are after it. There's the the Chinese triad is after it. Um, it's a whole lot of stuff going on. And eventually you have to like fight this leader of the snake flower triad who Kiryu had history with at one point in Shangri-La. So he he's um is this the situation where like Kazuma saved him when he was kidnapped and ended up getting like his leg all bummed? Yes. That's why he was walking okay. with a cane essentially. Yeah. So Kiryu gets like captured like thirteen years ago or something by this dude and then Kazuma has to save him and gets takes a shot to the leg for it and everything. Um He used to be a Yakuza like you and then he took a shot to the knee. Oh my god. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> Cannot believe you. <laughs> Cannot believe you. Sure you can. Uh prior to all that though, like they eventually you learn that like someone is ratting you out to Nishiki because he keeps yep. knowing your every move. You eventually find out that it's Reina. Because she has the feelings for Nishiki still. Yeah, there's a part in the beginning where they're buying, uh, where, where he's getting the ring, and Nishiki got Yumi like a necklace. And um, so Kiryu brings in the ring, and Raina's like, hey, you know, I'd like a ring for my next birthday. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Nishiki's like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. Whatever. Uh, you eventually learn that, like, she tried to, she called Nishiki to the bar and tried to kill him. That didn't mm-hmm. work. Um, what's his face? Shinji. Shinji, yes. Shinji eventually kind of like gets Reina and bleeds out in the street. <laughs> tries to take her somewhere to like get to safety, but like Nishiki's men are after them and everything. Uh, that leads you to a big fight on a building rooftop where we Reina gets murdered by one of Nishiki's like lieutenants and everything. Shinji also dies there because he takes a shot and kind of bleeds out. So you have to fight all these folks who God, have done that all that. Sucked. Yeah, that fight was not good. <laughs> that fight was not fun. No. That fight sucked. Mm-hmm. No bueno. Also worth mentioning at one point, like you hung out with Majima in the batting center and he just got stabbed. And then it was never brought up again. And then he was fine. Then we went fishing with yeah. him. Yeah. Except he just brought a bunch of dudes to fight. Yeah. That was weird. And he got shot. <laughs> and then he shows up at Shangri-La and Bodo drives a truck through the, the entrance. <laughs> you know, casually. Very casually. And again, nobody addresses the fact that he got stabbed or shot at any point. He's fine. I mean, obviously he's fine. He drove a truck through a building. Mm-hmm. And then, like, punched his way through a floor. Yes. Uh, anyway. All of this eventually kind of coalesces into the, the end of the game. Yeah. Where you learn from Kazuma that Yumi is actually Haruka's mother and that Mizuki is Yumi, which is a, a new identity. Because after the events of the, the Dojima murder, she like suffered amnesia. She didn't know who she was. Um, mm-hmm. But Kazuma tried to take care of her, tried to get her to remember and everything. But like she just couldn't remember anything. Eventually, she marries this dude named Kyohei Jingu, who is just like this politician who is allied with Sarah. Um, 
And then they have the baby who becomes Haruka and everything. Uh, it's just a baby head in the picture. It's just a baby head. There's no actual baby. It's just her head. <laughs> uh, Jingu gets caught up in some bad stuff where he accidentally kills a journalist um, who was like trying to blackmail him with evidence of his family and everything. So he asked Sarah to like help him get rid of the body and everything. And then he asked Sarah to murder Yumi and Haruka. Um, yep. Cosma ends up saving them because he's like, Sarah, you shouldn't do this. This is real bad. And then also he learns that like Jingu is trying to launder all this money through the, the Tojo clan, which ends up being the 10 billion yen. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this kind of goes down on a big boat. You learn about which is the, basically the same boat as the ending of Yakuza Zero. I don't know if it's the exact same boat, but it's basically the same boat set piece. Yeah. Um, Shimano shows up and you have to fight him, but Kiryu is able to defeat him. But he's Shimano able also hits Cosmo with a grenade. Yep. Um. He doesn't make it. No. You also. But he does. Oh. No. Go ahead. I was going to say, he also just tells um, Kiryu at one point, like, oh, by the way, I killed your parents. Yep. And Kiryu's like, oh. Yeah, he also, like, basically mentions, like, yeah, Sunflower was an orphanage made up of kids of parents I killed. Yep. And Kiryu's like, oh. Uh, but you're still my pa. You also, there's another character who shows up around this time uh, who is Terada. He is an, a lieutenant of the Omi Alliance, but he's also working with Kazuma because mm-hmm. he says he owes Kazuma a great debt that he can't repay. So basically, you have this guy also working with you. He's the one who shoots uh, Shimano after he blows up Kazuma and everything. Mm-hmm. So you have all this going down, and then eventually, uh, after all that, you have you have to your you have your big climax at, of course, the Millennium Tower, <laughs> which is the Millennium Tower. If if you don't know, is the thing that was built upon uh, the the empty lot, the whole basis of Yakuza Zero. All of that eventually turns into this giant tower in the middle of Kamurocho called the Millennium Tower. And it becomes this big thing that is going to be prominent throughout the rest of the series. Um, so you Yumi's go, got a bar at the top. Yeah, Yumi has a bar at the top, which you found out earlier on in the in the game. Um, where, But you meet her there this time, and now she, she like has her memories, everything, and you get to meet her for the first time. She meets Haruka. Haruka's like, are you my mom? Are you my mama? Yeah, mama. Um, Jingo arrives in a in a helicopter, and he's got like his government secret agency with him, and he wants to destroy the Tojo clan. He wants to bring in the Omi Alliance and take control and everything with the ten billion yen. Uh, eventually, you got to fight a bunch of his dudes and everything. Uh, Date and this other dude from the the. The the police show up in a helicopter and then eventually just leave because they get shot at. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, oh, hey, we're here to help. Oh, goodbye. Goodbye. We can't help anymore. Which was weird, but okay. So Jingo basically tries to say, like, he's going to become, like, the next chairman and everything. But then Kiryu pulls out this thing from Sarah, which it was, like, his will. And it was like, this is going to have, this is going to say who has, who will be the next chairman. He pulls it out and shows everyone, hey, by the way. The fourth chairman is Kazuma Kiryu. <laughs> is me. Is me. He just like dramatically holds the paper out like, look at this. It's me. Um, so you're able to beat up his dudes and everything. Uh, and then you're going to like be happy and everything. And then Nishiki shows up. 
He's like, no, I have to beat you now and take the money for me. And you get this big, long, dramatic fight with Nishiki, where you basically just fight all throughout the bar and everything. No shirts. No shirts, of course, because why would you have a shirt on? Uh, Jingo re-shows up again and shoots Yumi. And then Nishiki stabs him, and they go into the room where all the money is. And they're, and Nishiki's like, well, I'm just going to let this blow up and take me and this dude with it <laughs> and all the yeah, money. Yumi, Yumi had a bomb set up. Yes, where she was going to destroy the, the 10 billion yen if things went bad. Yeah, and so he's like, all right, cool. I'm just going to hang out in here with this guy, make sure that things, uh, you know, mm-hmm. go okay. All right, goodbye, peace. And then Yumi, Yumi got shot, so she dies in Kiryu's arms. Yeah, she admits that she had feelings for him. And he's very sad. And he's like, I also had feelings for you. Also, it's raining money down um, on the streets. Uh, And and the the locket, before she dies, gets opened. And it's a picture of Kiryu. Uh, Oh. (laughs) So, and then, like, the cops all show up at the end there, and Kiryu's just like, I'm sad. I mean, his his brother slash best friend did just His brother slash best friend died, his love interest died, and his surrogate dad just died. Yeah, he's having a real bad time. Real bad also, time. he was just given the Tojo clan. Yeah. So, he has a lot on his plate at the moment. Uh, He decides he wants to go back to jail because of this, and Dante's like, no, nah, you gotta take care of Haruka now. You're the only one who can like actually like kind of take care of her now. She has no family now. And yeah. Kira's like, oh, okay. Uh, so after that, he goes to the Tojo clan. He's like, "All right, I will. Hello, I'm the fourth chairman now. By the way, I'm I'm quitting being the fourth chairman, Terada. You are now the fifth chairman of the Tojo clan. I'm out of here. See you later." And they like chase him down. He's like, "Nope, out of here. Goodbye." <laughs> uh, and then basically, like the the last scene you get is of Kiryu going to get pick up Haruka, and they're gonna go live their life together now. Yep, and nothing ever happened again. Nope, that's it. Um. Kwame introduces a couple of things that are that may basically add more to the story. Like we talked about, um, we talked about the Majima Everywhere system, which kind of expands upon uh, Majima's character a little bit, even though it kind of comes in the conflict with the, the actual game's, you know, characterization of Majima. Uh, but they also add in some backstory for Nishiki to kind of show, yes. like, how he came, he became, or he, he, you know, he came to be how he is today from the events of 1995. Um, this boy has problems. Yes. So a lot of it is kind of like this: him trying to deal with the fact that like everyone thinks he's inferior to Kiryu and everything. They wish mm-hmm. Kiryu was here to to deal with all this. They don't. They don't want to deal with Nishiki and everything. Um. So after like you can't even control your men. Mm-hmm. So after Kiryu's arrest, he gets his own family, the Nishikiyama family, and um, Kashiwaki's like, yeah, we're gonna send a bunch of our best men over to your family to kind of help you get off the ground and everything. And then after, when Kiryu comes back, you'll he'll be placed in your family. You'll look after him and everything. Uh, but then everyone kind of like thinks he's just like incompetent and everything. Um, one of his captains kind of just like walks all over him and just like talks to him in the whole time. Um, he's also trying to find a way to get like a, a transplant for his sister who's doing very roughly, doing or doing real rough. Um, where like if she doesn't get this transplant, she's going to die. So, like, he has to, like, get this money from a doctor, or he has to pay this doctor, like, a kind of, like, a a fast way track fee, essentially, to get to, like, black market 
organs and all that sort of stuff. So he tells us the guy who who keeps walking over him, like, "Hey, go get money any way you can." Um. Then he gets bamboozled. He gets bamboozled. Where like the the guy's like, "Oh, I got all this money from this doctor and everything." It's weird. He's just like trying to flee the country and everything. And he reads the the business card and it's the doctor who was he was supposed to pay. And he's just like, "Oh God." He goes to the hospital and they're like, yeah, you know, he just left and we were all very sad about it. And he goes to the office and it's completely emptied out. Mm-hmm. And he cries and is very sad and his sister dies. And then like Kashiwaki like just opens a new one on him. Yeah. She's been like, what are you doing? You are just being a failure. Well, because the, the guy that's under him that he was doing some like real bad stuff that he wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to be doing to get that money. Also like kind of like encroaching on the Kazuma family turf and everything. That's mainly what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like eventually Nishiki kind of like is at the end of his rope almost where he's about to like kill himself. But then like that guy comes in and is like, hey, what's going on? And then like he just gets, Nishiki gets real mad and just literally murders this dude. Straight up murders him. Think- and he's just covered in blood and like slicks his hair back he with the blood. slicks his hair back with the blood to make his, his slicked hair back look that he has in the the rest of the game. I was like, oh my god. Buddy, there's better hair gel out there. So yeah, he has a rough time. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of it is just like he has an inferiority mm-hmm. complex, which, I mean, you know, he probably also has a lot of guilt because he knows that he's the one that did it and that Kiryu's doing time for it. Yeah. It's a whole, so, it's just a whole mess of things. It's a perfect storm of mistakes happening and, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is essentially Yakuza 1 in a nutshell. Yes. We have a daughter now. We do have a daughter now. I, I, I kind of like gave you like the expectation of like, hey, don't go into this thinking this is Yakuza 0. Like, this is not going to be as, you know, as ambitious and just like as wild as Yakuza 0 was, obviously, because like this is a remake of the first game, so... I right. think that kind of helps you in terms of like getting your expectations in check, but but yeah, like this game, I think is fine, but like it's fine. Out of all of the Yakuza games that I've played, it's probably at the bottom. I mean, of the Yakuza games that I've experienced so far, it is at the bottom. Well, you have experienced two and a half now. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> ish. I mean. Technically, you could put, like, the half of um, two and the half of seven together and make another one. I'm <laughs> just making a Frankenstein game. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so far, um, like, zero and two are, are better experiences. Yeah. But I think that this was an important game for me to know what's going on absolutely like it is it is basically it is the basis the groundwork of the rest of the series going forward and i i I, as i mentioned before i think that if we had not played zero before this a lot of the story beats of one would not have hit for me completely agree yeah yeah kiryu lost a lot of stuff in this game that he did a lot of people die in this game (laughs) A lot of people die. Yeah, like at one point we we got to see. I think it was on two. We were at the Tojo uh, headquarters that has like all the portraits. I was like, all those guys are dead, all of them. And you're like, yeah, yeah, they're all dead. It's like a, it's a photo. Fo- it's like photos of 
uh, Sarah, Dojima, Shimano, Nishiki, and Kazuma. They're like, mm. yeah, none of those guys exist anymore. <laughs> none of them. They're all dead. A lot of people died in this. That they did. And then the love interest also died. Rip. Ripperoni and pepperoni. Sure, you didn't even think to call cops or anything or an ambulance to be like, hey, we should probably try and take care of this bleeding out lady. He's like, uh, I don't know what to do. My cell I'm where's, sad. I don't, where's my cell phone? <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh, no, it was with my jacket that I threw. Oh, no. Oh, no. But yeah, that, so, yeah. that's Yakuza 1. Yeah. We're continuing our Yakuza journey. We are continuing our Yakuza journey. Two games down. We got like five more to go. Yeah. Or actually six more to go. Six? Five? Six? I don't know. I don't know how to count. I don't do math. Two, three, four, five, six, judgment, six. There you go. Math. I can do math. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for doing math. I have fingers. I can count. There you go. Well, that's it. Unless you have anything else you want to say about Yakuza 1. Mm, no. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So if you'd like more from us, go to SeasonalAnimeCheckup.com or SAC.cools where you can find past episodes of this podcast and other podcasts like Seasonal Checkup and Jared Now Watch. You can also find columns and reviews on the site as well. If you'd like more from Anladium, go to Anladium.com. She's got columns and reviews. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash anime checkup. You can buy our books, One Shining Moment, a critical analysis of Love Life, Sunshine, and Hot Tubs and Pac-Man on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. And you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash S-A-C-O-V-A. Buy us a slice of pizza, get access to bonus episodes, unedited versions of the podcast. You can also listen to our Patreon-exclusive review of the Sonic the Hedgehog film, mm-hmm. which that is a wild ride, to say the least. Yeah, it is. So check that out if you want on the Patreon. Uh, next week will be something. Yeah. It might be more Yakuza or it might be something else. Who knows? Who knows? It'll depend on how we do. Exactly. So we'll figure that out and we'll reconvene for the first episode of March. Oh, God. There you go. Oh, God. There you go.